Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this weekend's UFC card. Here are your hosts, Zane Simon and Connor Rebush. Hey, welcome back to the MMA Vivisection with me, Zane Simon, and my co-hosts. As always, Connor Rebush, we are here once again talking about this week's UFC card. Going down at the Amway Center in Orlando, Florida, headlined by a welterweight bout between Stephen Thompson and Kevin Holland. We're looking at the prelim card right now with a featured prelim fight between Nico Price and Philip Rowe. On top of a really well-stacked prelim card, too, for... You know, it, it would be great to see more fight night cards like this. Mm-hmm. Honestly, these these are some of these are better than some of the pay per view prelims. <laughs> a lot yeah. of those get by on the strength of their stacked main cards. Yeah, uh, and then like maybe a... one or two featured fights. This is yeah, it's, I mean thorough. It's just a well booked top to bottom card. It's the kind of th- it's the kind of matchmaking that the UFC made their reputation on. Yeah where you're going deep down into the prelims and you're getting a fight like, you know, Michael Johnson versus Mark Diakese or Tracy Cortez versus Amanda Rebus. And you're like, that's a good fight. Mm-hmm. I want to, you know, I, I want to see that fight. I'm interested in it. And, uh, you know, you're down way deep. You're, you're six fights deep into the undercard saying that mm-hmm. it's not, uh, fight night, uh, uh, Zachuku versus Kudalaba, and you're looking at like Ricky Tercios versus Kevin Natividad or Vanessa Demopoulos versus Maria Oliveira. <laughs> going, or Waldo Cortez Acosta versus Chase Sherman in the co main event. Oh my God. And being like, why, what are you making this for? I mean, next week's pay per view, we have Patty Pimblett in the co main event now. So, yeah, but at least, I mean, Pimblett's a celebrity. I get that, you is know. He, yeah, just people in just like Yorkshire or whatever like him. Like, is that <laughs> does that count? Yeah, it does. He's That's got like enough. Being home. An Ohio celebrity. <laughs> hey, it was enough for Stepe Miocic to get some fights at home. <laughs> That's true. I did feel a flush of pride when on that one embedded episode I saw him playing euchre. <laughs> that, was a, that was a good feeling. All right. What's next? He's going to be playing cornhole. You know Stipe plays a lot of cornhole. Absolutely. Cornhole, hillbilly golf. He plays all the backyard games, guaranteed. All right. Let's talk about this welterweight fight. Nico Price, Philip Rowe, and uh, this should be a pretty fun fight. uh, Yeah, this is stupid. I mean, in a very good way. It's a big step up for Philip Rowe. And a step down for Nico Price that, uh, you know, isn't un- entirely unnecessary, but it's, it's not a, little... a, it's not a kind step down though. It's not a kind step down. Yeah. It's... I would, I would be perfectly happy for Nico Price to get a little step back. The dude's fought a ton of good fighters, Yep. but, um, you know, this is just what happens when you're a fighter like Nico Price. Yeah. You, you fight. I mean, what do you, I, I, I don't know. I mean, my perspective on this does change somewhat like it's the the eternal contradiction of even following mma mm-hmm. while still like tr- trying to think of yourself as like a moral person it's wrong what we're watching oh sure <laughs> like it's only the sure. fact that it's remotely voluntary that makes it okay mm-hmm. bad things are happening to people and matchmaking is it's is essentially cruel yeah so like 
to be like, oh, how dare they not give Nico Price like a boring opponent? Essentially, like, what are you going to do? He's he's not even that good. He's just exciting. Yeah, he's fun and he has fun fights and they put him in a fun fight in the middle of the card. Is it a fight that does anything for him? No. Will it yeah. be fun? Yeah. He's a power punching mess. I mean, how are you going to yeah. justify feeding some like even less effective like grappler to Nico Price? Exactly. Like, you, That's you, just you, cruel to that guy. Right, exactly. This is the be- this is the only kind of step down you can give Nico Price. You give him a essentially an, a very dangerous matchup with less name value. Mm-hmm. It almost isn't a step down in, 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 if you look at it the, the wrong way. Yep. Um, I don't know, man. I, I really don't have a super good idea of how to call this one because Nico Price is, he does get by so much on just his toughness and his, his swingingness. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he's got weird ape arms, huge hands, Yep. Um, he's an incredibly awkward striker. Absolutely. Weird. The, the most, like, do you just train this weird yeah. fighter out there? Yeah. Where you're, you know, you, you expect to, like, show up at his gym and just see him, like, with one of those boss rootin' pad machines. Mm-hmm just going nuts because nobody's going to hold pads for this dude mm-hmm. the way he strikes and it you know it it win it works half the time yeah i mean I'm, i think it, sometimes it adds to the the surprise factor of his punches yeah it's, he's, he's a weird difficult guy to time provided that you are like you hit the first stage of either being too reckless or you're cowed by the threat of his power and his size um, and then you're like, if you're flinching or if you're not looking, then his his weird punches coming with the power they do will easily clean your clock. Yeah. Um, Phil Rowe looks like he has the makings of a much cleaner striker. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he's got like a functional stance when he moves his feet. They don't just like cross of their own accord. Yeah. Um. You know, he he tends to lead with at least, like, fainting his lead hand. He doesn't have much of a jab for a guy his size. Yeah. Because uh, he is – how big is Phil Rowe? He's 6'3 with an 80-inch reach. He is Kevin Holland size. Yeah. Um, yeah, Kev, Kevin Holland size already at welterweight. He looks bigger than Kevin, too. He's like, yeah. He's broader in the back and shoulders than Kevin Holland. Um, <clears throat> and he's clearly got power. And he's got, a, like, would it be really funny if Nico Price out wrestled him here? Because it might happen. It might happen. I mean, Roe is not a good wrestler. He is not. It looked, granted, Jason Witt's pretty good at it, but he it looked like he had literally no idea what to do. Yeah, he's just. I mean, I realize he's been fighting for like eight years now, but Roe seems like he started taking MMA really seriously around the Dana White contender series in 2019, you know, it feels like he's, he's got some reach and some snap on his strikes and he knows he's got the fluidity and coordination to throw well in combination, mm-hmm. but he has to, he has to be able to sit down in front of somebody for his game to be effective because yeah. when he's moving around, he's not really, confident enough to throw a lot 
And if somebody else is coming forward to take him down when he's sitting down in front of somebody, he's going to get taken down. He's very like, you know, I think he has a bit of that uh, mono focus thing where Mm -hmm. he has to be able to like, oh, I'm really able to sit down and dedicate myself to throwing these punches right now without anything coming back at me. Mm -hmm. And then he looks really clean. Mm hmm. Um, so yeah, just yeah, very situational in the way that super inexperienced fighters are. Yeah, um, and I think it's clear why he didn't like make any rapid improvements early because he's I, I think he's got the physical gifts to do it, mm-hmm. but that's exactly why because he's a beast. Yeah, and probably up to a certain point he just had absolutely no need or great pressing desire to do all the uncomfortable yeah. stuff. You're a six foot three welterweight fighting on the the tiny like some, you know frog holler fight night card yeah who just wrecks people with one punch or just strangles them with one arm like yeah yeah um i I mean i i really have no choice here but to pick nico price because things are going to go haywire Mm -hmm. and i nico price isn't even the most durable guy in the world but he's very resilient yeah mentally durable and has had more than enough brawls against better, more experienced fighters and won some of them Mm -hmm. for me to put faith in him here. He also does actually have the option of going to a wrestling game, which I don't think, I mean, knowing Nico price, he's probably going to come in here with the game plan of like, I have to wrestle Phil Rowe. Yeah. It's such an obvious thing. And that is what MMA fighters do is they overcorrect or they overfixate. And he's going to like shoot himself in the foot. Cause, cause yeah, Rowe's not good at wrestling, but Nico Price isn't that good at it either, and Rowe is huge. Oh, uh, and, you know, being MMA too, there's like a 70% chance that one of his cornermen will be open carrying, so he might actually <laughs> shoot himself in the foot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, <laughs> so, yeah, but but I still have to rely on experience and some semblance of well-roundedness. Uh, really just for like the lack of any better reason to pick Phil Rowe. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it is rough to, to look at like Rowe basically, you know, getting out hustled by Gabe green and then losing bad early against both Kosi and wit. Yeah. And then just being like, Oh yeah, but he, he stays calm and collected enough. He can bounce back later in this fight against Nico price. And, Mm -hmm you know, start to win it as Price gets tired. Like, Price is, he's not cozy and he's not wit. He tends to stay pretty consistent. I mean. He's not exactly green either, but. Yeah. Not that level of consistency, but there are consistent aspects to Nico Price. Sir. Yes. And he has, even if he loses early, he has given more than one, again, better fighter, really yeah. miserable third rounds. Exactly. He knows how to, to, to stick to his game for round after round after round. For sure. Uh, yeah, it is. It really is like I don't know. I I I don't like picking Nico Price. <laughs> yeah, in this just because he does lose so often. Like there is just such messiness and. If Roe can make things click, if he can get comfortable throwing while on the move, if he can get comfortable defending takedowns while throwing, 
if he, you know, can just kind of do other stuff, then be able, then have to sit right in front of somebody in the pocket to really let his strikes go. He can beat Nico Price, but I haven't seen it yet. And until I see it, I, I'll have to pick Nico Price as well. Mm-hmm. Roe is the favorite here. Opened at minus 135, got up as high as minus 101, is currently back down at minus 143. Price, oh wait, no, I read that backwards. Nico Price is the favorite. Opened at minus 135, got up as high as minus 101, is currently down at minus 143. Philip Rowe opened at plus 115, dropped all the way down to minus 121, is currently up at plus 117. You pointed out how confusing it is for Phil Rowe's nickname to be the Fresh Prince when his name is Phil. Yeah, yeah. I don't think that that I, I I'm sure that much thought never went in. <laughs> hey, I love the Fresh Prince. Yeah, but you know, clearly Uncle Phil would be a great nickname. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody wants to be Uncle Phil. Mm-hmm. Well, come on, Uncle Phil's a, a no wonderful father figure. Sure, but you know. Nobody who watched and loved the Fresh Prince of Bel Air fixated on how much they wanted to be like Uncle Phil. Come on, you you learn to love him whether you like it or not. I, I'm not show. saying the man wasn't lovable. I'm just saying eminently you know. lovable, and that's exactly the way he and his fancy, inexplicably British butler would have said it. Eminently lovable. <laughs> all right, <laughs> that was all a pretty right. good Jeffrey. If I don't that say was, so that was myself. yeah, you really pulled that out of nowhere. I'm. I'm impressed. <laughs> All right. That brings us to a woman's straw weight bout. Angela Hill, Emily Ducote. Angela and... is uh, fully slotted in. I mean, I guess she has been for a while, but yeah. Real gatekeeper matchup here. Oh, yeah. Get, you want to be a top 10 fighter, top 15 fighter? Angela Hill is right there to verify your ranking spot. <laughs> I don't. I mean, I think she's a solid gatekeeper. I'm not. Oh yeah. No, I don't think she, this is a particularly uh, easy fight to pick for for Dakota. No, I mean, Dakota got the perfect entry to the UFC, which was a fight against Jessica Penne, where being the more technical striker meant that you have somebody walking in on you at all times who only really knows how to fight from short range. So all Dakota had to do was be consistent and throw, keep throwing her strikes, and Penne would always get hit by them. Yeah. Same thing. The thing that did show, though, I mean, like, Penne still got a lot of work done in that fight. I, I honestly thought um, just because it's mentioned a lot doesn't mean you should write it off as a factor. I thought we saw some UFC jitters there. Yeah. I thought Dakota looked skittish. She did, and she got hit a lot. Because she's, she's been way more aggressive and confident and smooth. Like, I've, I've been impressed since I first saw her with how um, sort of fluid her, uh, her, her movement and her combinations can be. And there was very little of that. I mean, she kind of just had to uh, awkwardly chip away at Penne. Yeah. To be fair, Penne is, you know, the first, her last two performances for uh, – Dakota, both come against women who are under five feet tall. Yeah. So. But she did have, granted, a, a not Jessica Penne at yeah. all. 
but she did have a fight with uh, Catherine Peprosky, I think, mm. um, which I watched when I scouted her, a, a very tall woman, and she obliterated her. Yeah. So it's not purely a size thing, although I'm sure that was a factor. I think it was the experience of the opponent, the bright lights, the, the hugeness of the opportunity, and uh, probably the size too, yes. Yeah. And but Penne being a pretty recognizable name too. And absolutely. For, you know, for that kind of thing. Like it is by far the most notable opponent yeah. that Ducote has ever faced. It, it looked to me like she was very clearly feeling the pressure. Yeah. Um, that said, I mean, like being, so if she's going to go out and have a pretty clinical, but slow paced, uh, power striking fight with Angela Hill, Mm -hmm. it's going to be a more, there's a good chance for it to be more touch and go with Hill than with Penne. Mm -hmm. Because Penne will basically, and Hill can, um, Penne will almost absolutely just resign herself to having a, a losing fight in that situation. Yeah. You know, she doesn't really have any way to take the fight other than to just step in and have her, you know, have her same exchanges over and over. If she's not getting, ta- if she's not getting to the clinch, there's just not going to be anything else coming. Right. Um, Hill can be, she can get stuck in that same situation where she's just trying to always step forward and initiate exchanges in the pocket. But Hill is much more likely to change the momentum of the fight for at least a round somewhere mm-hmm. in it. Um, just by varying up the kind of strikes she's throwing, whether it's more kicks, whether it's throwing more overhands and sitting down on bigger strikes Mm-hmm. Or whether it's actually getting to that clinch and just slowing the fight down that way. Yeah. she She's much more of a momentum round stealer than Penne has ever been. Absolutely. And occasionally a uh, a takedown as well. Yeah. It's just also like, man, it almost always has to come against somebody who is likely who who is as prone to getting trapped in a bad fight as Hill herself can be. Mm -hmm. Like it it almost always has to come to against somebody who doesn't really have, or who seems to get really stuck. Like Lupita Godinez has something going on with her where like, Mm -hmm. She seems to be she seems to get incredibly tracked in on whatever game plan she's decided to have for that fight and can't switch out of it. Mm-hmm. Um because her her losses to Angela Hill and Luana Carolina are like night and day different to her victories over Loma Lupunmi and Ariana Carnalasi. Right. Like Nadi and I know that. Karnalasi and Lukbunmi may be just worse fighters than Hill and Carolina. Well, but they're not. That's just it. Yeah. They're not worse fighters than Hill. Than, like, you could argue that Hill is a better fighter than Loma Lukbunmi. She beat her, after all. Um, I think but, she's definitively better than Lukbunmi. But... but not way better. And it no. wasn't the, See, the problem with Hill is that she's she's capable of b- 
beating better fighters or, or competing at least with much better fighters than I think that Lukbunmi can, but she yeah. will also fight to the level of basically whatever opponent yeah. she's put in there with. And the thing is with like Odina is, is it's not even that like, oh, she fought better opponents and she lost. It's she fought way different fights. Yeah. Against better opponents. Yeah, she yeah. tried to be a different fighter. And um you know, it, it that it's concerning or you know, I think Dakota will come out and try to be the same fighter that she always is. She will try to, to impress her game. I hope so. Again, I mean I, I would like to think it was just a one time I mean Angela Hills she was a former Invicta champ. That's where Dakota yeah. just came from. I mean, yeah. she's she's got some serious name value, like uh not entirely I mean, she's she, frankly She's she's a she's a bigger star than Penne is. Yeah, at this point in her career, and um, yeah, it, it and it's it's uh, uh, this one is not at the apex. Like there's going to be a crowd. Yeah. Um. Who knows? I mean, yeah. But but I also think that um, likely Dakota is the kind of fighter who, like, given Angela Hill's general approach, is going to be sort of shaken out of even if she does come mm-hmm. in a little starstruck because Angela Hill is going to try to put it on her yeah and again since I've first scouted Dakota I'm like she's she's a very instinctively smooth striker yeah when she actually just has to pull the trigger and I think that'll see her through enough to win two rounds yeah yeah that's really I think though what I have to look at out of it is that yeah It'll be the kind of fight where Ducote wins two rounds that are close and where she lands the bigger shots. Yeah. And then loses one round where Hill just outworks her or puts her on the cage and outworks her in the clinch or takes her down or something of that nature. Mm-hmm. But it's not going to be a clean fight. And it's not going to be an easy fight. And no. uh but I, I think I think Ducote is talented enough and athletic enough to overcome Hill as that test and be yeah. a fifteen fighter. Yeah, I think so too. I, I've, I've I think Ducote has a ton of potential. Uh, I think she's already proven herself to be quite good. Yeah, but yeah, there was a definite hiccup in her UFC debut. Um, I mean, it, the thing is, is I considered a hiccup. Other people were reasonably impressed. Yeah, like I think a lot of people who hadn't really keyed in on Dakota as a fighter, that was their first time seeing mm-hmm. her, and they're like, "Oh, well, she just like clinically beat Jessica Penne." Yeah. Um. So even on an off night, a perfectly solid fighter. Yep. And Hill just has a lot of struggles with somebody who is really solid within themselves. Exactly. Yeah. She. She. You know. She. She stays on balance consistently. She moves her feet really well, Dakota. Yeah. Um. Generally keeps a nice tight guard. She has a real just natural feeling for counter punching. Yep. Good form on her boxing. I really like that um, when she is taking the lead, um, she's really, really good at setting up her right hand. Mm-hmm. Great jab, but also uses feints, little little rhythmic tricks to set it up. Um, and also uh, is um, surprisingly good at like finding resets off of firing that right hand as well. Yep. Yeah. Uh, nice little angle changes. Nice job getting back to range. She's also got like a Taekwondo background or something. So every once in a while, she will just shock her opponent with a really fast kick. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think um, 
I'm, I'm curious, but I, I do think that Angela Hill's usual aggressive approach, while, while it will yield some results, it is going to basically lull Dakota into doing what she actually does best, yeah. which is just sort of feeling it inviting. Yeah, it's it's rare that Hill can go out there with somebody who is reasonably physically competitive with her. Yeah. And who has a technical edge over her, and then Hill can turn that, pushing that pace, yeah, and pushing her aggression into winning that fight. It's because she's aggressive and she's creative, but she's not physically imposing enough. Yeah, so it's like she puts her opponent in a position where they have to fight back, and then they realize they can nail her, and actually they're not getting hurt that bad. Yeah, against a certain level of opponent, it uh, she can end up. Uh, building their confidence for them by like, mm-hmm. you know, making them step up. Um, I yeah. think Ducote is that kind of fighter. Again, I, yeah. I've seen in the past, unlike that Penne fight, even against tall women, some really, really insanely aggressive fights out of her. So yeah, uh, I'm excited. I mean, I think it's a really interesting test. I kind of feel like I do need to see it because yeah. um, I, I, I'm not still entirely convinced how Ducote hangs at this level. Yeah, but, but yeah, this is the I, kind of jumping off point that then, you know, gets you into fights with like Verna Janjaroba and, yeah. you know, uh, Amanda, you know, like, you know, the uh, Lamoshes and the Marina Rodriguez's and mm-hmm. the other fighters up in the top 10. And then, you know, you, you, you but you got to pass a couple of these tests. So Absolutely. I mean, Hill fight, is, I mean, I, it's, it shows. <clears throat> I think some respect for the Invicta title because um, Hill, I think, is a gatekeeper to that elite level. I mean, yep. un- undoubtedly. Hill opened at plus 100, is currently up at plus 102, so not a lot of change on that line. Dakota opened at minus 120, is currently at minus 125. Yeah, I think that's reasonable. Mm-hmm. I, like I said, I expect this to be Ducote loses one round and wins the other two and maybe it's even you know wins a round loses a round and then there's a, a round that's so close that Ange- everybody feels like Angela Hill won it and she can't get the decision <laughs> the classic Angela Hill fight yeah could easily be that way all right that takes us to a lightweight bout Clay Guida Scott Holtzman and, um, yeah, mm-hmm. it's kind of a, this is me. I'm just sort of, um, doing a, a pregnant pause. Cause, uh... <clears throat> yeah, I mean, if you're going to have Clay Guida around still, if he's still going to fight and you want him under contract and, uh, you know, you're rocking your 40 year old lightweight division, then this is the kind of fight he should be taking. You know, uh, yeah, thirty nine, and has never been great. He's been fun, mm-hmm. and he, he developed a lot more than you might have thought for a guy who started when he was, you know, basically thirty. Had his first MMA bout, and has been just kind of plugging away ever since as a decent athlete at lightweight who had, didn't have, you know, any natural MMA skill base beyond hockey. Yeah. I, th- I thought he was a hockey player. Yeah. Yeah. He started in, uh, he was 29. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, Scott Holtzman, honestly, I, I think 
was for a few fights uh, quite good. Yeah. And uh, it's probably still that level uh, with the right opponent. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it was a particularly good sign that he's like the only guy to make Mateusz Gamrot look powerful. <laughs> that's yeah, uh, that's not a good look. I mean, Gamrot's especially fast. Not, for the, mm-hmm. not especially not for the way Holtzman fights. No, exactly. His fighting style has never been about his ability to be defensively minded. To limit damage. Yeah. I, well, I mean, to be fair, even on that front, he did make some improvements. He showed some, like, slick counterpunching against Jim Miller. Yeah. He was, like, slipping punches and coming back with combinations and stuff. Um, But, yeah, just... Uh, I don't know. He's always just been an action fighter. He's just never yep. been consistent. That's why I say even... Uh, for whatever was his, you know, delayed prime as an MMA fighter, d- even when he was winning more, there were fights that were like, yeah, he looked really good in this one. And the next one, you're like, I don't really know what to make of. I don't even know how to describe yeah. Scott Holtzman's game. He's doing something completely different here, and it's not quite working. Yeah. Um, he's just always kind of been a messy, high octane, will absolutely fight you wherever the fight goes kind of fighter. Mm-hmm. And um, Clay Guida, meanwhile, is old. Yeah, he's really, really old. <laughs> the tire, the the all the tread wore off the tires several years ago, and at this point, it's just rims running down the freeway. <laughs> he's just shooting off sparks, you know. Yeah, like, yeah. My God, thirty-seven and twenty-two is his record. Yeah. That's crazy, but the losses are still really spread out throughout the earlier stages of his career. Like, it's not even like he just loses to everyone now. Yeah, uh, I, I don't know, man. Uh, I really don't know what to make of this matchup. I mean, that's why I hesitated when I, when you threw it to me because um, one one part of the book on Scott Holtman is that he has always been susceptible to wrestlers. Yeah, that he's again MMA lab guy, decent scrambler, solid yeah. getups. Yeah. Uh, he'll make you fight to actually keep your takedowns, but uh, you can take him down. Yeah. And uh, probably that's like a leading advantage for Clay Guida, but how much do I trust Clay Guida? I, I mean, I guess I have to, but then... I'm not doing it. He might just get submitted... I doubt, just be I a, doubt Scott Holtzman's going to submit Clay You Guida. never know with Clay Guida. You never know with Clay Guida. But <laughs> he could easily Scott run Holtzman, into a guillotine. He, I guess he did get two rear naked chokes in his career. So it's not entirely impossible, but I would be shocked. Yeah. I think he tried a bunch of submissions on uh, Drew Dober as well because they had a bunch of grappling exchanges. Hmm. Um, you know. Uh, but but also like it could just be like the, the the thirty seconds of striking at the start of a round and Clay Guida just like runs into a knee or something. Yeah. That, uh, do you just pick Scott Holtzman for I, like somehow being the younger man despite being basically the exact same age? Yeah, I'm basically. I mean, for me, it's just like Guida's wins. His, his right now, he is beating fighters who have lost whatever made them good at any point has mm-hmm. been taken from them. Yeah, or they have 
they are so or they are so breakable in such a specific way that you know, like somebody like Michael Johnson may not actually he's not a dramatically different fighter than he was a decade ago, but he man is he breakable in that exact same way that he has always been breakable. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, well, this is why I I guess it's not specifically applicable here because. I don't think Clay Guida is going to sleep him, but yeah, Scott Holtzman. The fact that Scott Holtzman just got knocked out by Gamrod is a bad sign for Scott Holtzman. Scott Holtzman specifically, it is. But I just, nah, I, I can't trust. I can't trust that Guida's not going to get hit some, and he, or or that bouncing back from getting hit like the big thing that Clay Guida would do would be to out wrestle Scott Holtzman, but I don't think that Holtzman's in a place like he's not where Leonardo Santos is where I expect him to just no, get tired yeah. and fall apart because yeah. he got tired he will keep fighting his way back up from takedowns he will keep creating scrambles that's true yeah and so if he keeps giving himself chances to hurt Clay Guida at some point I have to assume that he'll hurt him bad enough to win yeah I think that's that that does sound like the only reason to pick anybody yeah this matchup that's pretty much it so, odds on the fight. Holtzman is the favorite, opened at minus 205, currently up at minus 160. Guida opened at plus 175, currently down at plus 131. All right. That brings us to a, another lightweight bout, Speak of the Devil, Michael mm-hmm. Johnson against Mark Diakese. And um this just Johnson feels- Johnson sandwiched on the prelims here by two guys who have beaten him in the most Michael Johnson way possible. Mm-hmm. Clay Guida coming after and coming up next will be uh, Darren Elkins. But yeah. this would it, given that as well, uh-huh. given the Guida and Elkins fights right there next to Johnson, uh-huh. this just feels cruel. Yeah. <laughs> right? Because it's Mark Diakese and Michael Bisping and uh, Daniel Cormier can and Dominic Cruz can go over how shocked they are by Diakese's wrestling as much as they want for as long as they want. It will still never be a surprise to anybody who has watched more than two minutes of Mark Diakese's career. It's how he won his like first 10 fights <laughs> just by hulking people around. He just is a gritty, hard-nosed wrestler with a very fun, dynamic striking game, but he's never become a, a really, truly comfortable striker. No, not at all. Um, he And lately, now that his job has gotten on the line, because I think he tried really hard to become a, a comfortable striker. Mm-hmm. He saw the hype that that gave him that people were excited about how dynamic he is, how fast he can rotate mm-hmm. uh, and how clean a one, two he can throw and how sharp and like quick it seems. And that really got him invested in his striking for a while. Mm-hmm. And then he kept losing fights and he realized at some point that he needs to actually save his MMA job. And these last couple fights has, have just been a wrestling clinic from Mark Diakese. Yep. And, and even in a lot of the fights that he lost, he still demonstrated that, like, 
yeah. is insanely tough and resilient. He really is. He, I mean, as as Phil points out to me every time we talk about Jacasey, he essentially won a round off of Rafael Fiziev. Mm-hmm. Just by like exhausting Fiziev by absorbing the worst he could do for ten minutes straight. Yeah, he literally gassed the man by just eating everything he had to offer. Yeah, and Michael Johnson. I mean, if ever there's a dude to take what he's he's bringing <laughs> you and then wreck his confidence with takedowns. Yes, like it, this is just set up for Michael Johnson to. Be for Henry Hooft to be really disappointed. I think really more than anything, that's the the narrative we should be focusing on here is the fact that Henry Hooft is about to feel very disappointed, <laughs> and Mike and Michael Johnson is not getting. He, they're not going through the Mickey D's drive through after this one. Well, they are, but Henry Hooft is making a point of getting the toy out of the Happy Meal and keeping it for himself. Yeah. You know? Um, I Yeah, I'm, I'm waiting for the day that we cut to the corner and Henry Hooft is there, and there isn't a single word of corner advice. He's just arms crossed, shaking his head. <laughs> yeah. Oh. I mean, I, I know Michael Johnson has done some heinous things. Yeah. But frankly, like, at a certain point, I do start to feel bad for him. It's hard not to. After. Come on, man. Like, he just, he's just, especially because he he really is a, another one of these fighters. Who did I say this about on the, uh, on the main card? Um, Stephen Thompson, like, yeah, a couple things fall differently throughout his career. And like, he, he might've been a champ. Sure. Like for him, it's it's not Stephen Thompson. I think it was honestly nothing more than timing. Like yeah, different array of contenders. No Tyron Woodley, and who knows? For Michael Johnson, it's like one little psychological switch yeah. has to have been flicked. It's a and mentality clearly, thing. Yeah, clearly that's a bigger and and less likely problem to have been solved. It's not just yeah. a, a different wrinkle of fate. But yeah, but, and you can look at like, dude, put a scare into Habib for. Absolutely, a moment He's, of a fight. He beat, uh, you know, he put his he put a scare into Justin Justin Gagey, good athlete who was also like quite an all rounder as far as striking goes. Yeah, can fight off the back foot. I, he, I I used to not think pressuring was natural to him, but he does. He can stick to it when he's told to do it. Yeah, and pressure and be really aggressive. Super fast hands. Um, great kicker as well. It is, it is remarkable to think that a guy who beat Tony Ferguson, Dustin Poirier, yes. Edson Barboza, technically Benil Dariush, yeah. and had really good, fun fights with Khabib and Justin Gagey, could also be a guy who has never even sniffed nearly, not even... Not never won a title, but never got close to a title shot. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Never got in the conversation at all. Just could never, never had... hold on to any momentum. Yep. I don't know that he's ever even had a number next to his name in his UFC career. He must yeah. have at some point. I think when like around the time maybe that he was fighting like Darius and well even then he like but did the he UFC... gets he gets screwed UFC... on that decision. <laughs> so when did the UFC introduce rankings? <laughs> Uh, it's been quite a while now. I'm pretty sure. 
probably most of the time I've been covering the sport at this 2013 point. 2013 is when they started doing yeah. rankings. So that would have been, you know, what, that Lozon, Thibaut, Giard, Barboza run. Yeah. And, and so that, you know, if you didn't get ranked in those in that those first two years of the rankings, yeah, he has not been ranked since. Yeah, and the other reason I feel bad for Johnson is that he, um, as I say every time we talk about him, he is like clearly still adding yeah. wrinkles to his game and getting sharper. Yeah, and it just can't save him from himself. No, and it's not going to save him from himself here. In no. fact, it's in, in this particular fight, it's not even like I don't think he even has to screw up. Like Jacasey is just yeah. such a beast. Yeah. Um, he doesn't even have to be a particularly good technical wrestler. At some point, even if Johnson is winning, Chikese can just grab him and rip him off his feet. I mean, it's it's the Darren Elkins thing. Like, yeah, yeah. Johnson was beating Darren Elkins' ass. Yeah, and then he gets taken down once, and I mean, shit. Like, I like the guy. I'm. This is going to sound bad for me to say it this way. But Stevie Ray did it. <laughs> yeah. You know? Like, Johnson was having a very good, solid fight he was winning, and Stevie Ray just started taking him down. Yeah. And just beat him. Just made all the fight go out of him. There is, and Michael Johnson is like, he's justification for for every MMA uh, game plan overcorrection in history. Yeah. Because, like, this is the guy where it's like, I'm not a wrestler. Yeah. But this guy is so breakable in that phase that I'm going to go in there and play my C game. Yeah. And it's going to crush him. Yeah. I'm going to be well-rounded tonight. And it'll work. Because Michael Johnson, it is one of the most dramatically pronounced foils. He is Melvin Gallard, too. He just crumbles when he doesn't like what's happening. Yeah. And Jacasey is just like a, a super jacked up Darren Elkins. The wildest thing is, of course, is that Johnson was, in his wiki bio states, uh, Johnson later received a full scholarship to play football at Central Methodist University, but transferred after one year to, year to Merrimack Community College, where he was one of the top N- NJCAA wrestlers in the country. Yep. <sighs> Who can explain it? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what it is, but... Good athlete. Great skills, continues to improve, can't fix his fatal flaw. Yep. It never has. Uh, DKSA is thus justifiably a fairly sizable favorite. Opened at minus 160, is currently at minus 323. Johnson opened at plus 140, is currently up at plus 249. Sure, why not? Yeah, I mean... Johnson really does have to, at this point, prove he can win this fight. I mean, like, he, I guess he beat out Alain Patrick, so... Yeah, and I think he arguably should have beaten Malarkey. Yeah. So, you know, they're still, they, these are still winnable fights for him. They're all winnable fights. Tiago Moises was a, win, Moises was a winnable fight for Michael Johnson. Yes, he's. When has there ever been a fight where Michael Johnson hasn't had at least one round? You're like, this dude rules. Yeah, every yeah, single true. time. Elkins Emmett, I think he was winning against Emmett before he got knocked out. Yeah, he, yeah, he was doing really decently against Josh Emmett. He had a good round against Khabib. Yep. Ah, oh, well. All right, that brings us to a featherweight bout: Darren Elkins, Jonathan Pierce. How? 
how close are we to having to how close am I to having to give up on the idea that you don't fight the OG at their own game? Yeah, I'm not picking Darren Elkins. Yeah. I'm there. I'm not picking yeah. this man anymore. I have not liked the way he has looked for, it feels like, 20 years now. <laughs> like, it has it has been a really uh, steady and relentless decline, I think. But, I mean, the thing is that he just beat Tristan Connolly and Derek Minner. Yeah. Do, it just did, like, the exact same rule of, Guys went out there and were like, I will wrestle grapple with this guy. That's true. But Tristan Connolly is Tristan Connolly. Yes, I know that Connolly is one of the least athletic men to ever yeah. uh, win in the UFC. Yeah. Tristan Connolly is like a, you know what the, what was really going on there is that Tristan Connolly is probably a scab. <laughs> and Darren Elkins, as we know, is a lifelong union man. There you go. That's right. I think he actually is, right? He's like a pipe fitter. Is he? I'm pretty sure. He, uh, he, I'm pretty sure he has a union card as a pipe fitter. Um, I'll look this up after I finish this point. Yeah. And Derek Minner is the more grappling-centric version of Michael Johnson. Yeah. He absolutely loses that kind of fight all the time. He does lose that kind of fight all the time. When he's not uh, you know, knowingly injured and possibly helping his coach to make money. Um. So, with Jonathan Pierce isn't isn't that? Like, yeah, you're you're right. He's a union man. Yeah. He, he's a, just he his Instagram has a just some local five nine seven pipe fitters having some fun. That's right. Darren Elkins is a is a is a blue collar worker through yeah. and through. Uh, he is the he is like the true lunch pail fighter. He, he really really, yes. really does live that life. Um, which good for him. I hope he's yeah. got a nice stable job after this doesn't work out. Which I think it's starting not to. Yeah. Um, inevitable. But Jonathan Pierce doesn't crumble. No, he he's doesn't. strong. And Elkins, like he, he, the thing is, is he has had to go through the very Darren Elkinsy process of getting his shit completely pushed in before he starts to win yeah. against increasingly ineffective strikers and fighters. Yeah. And the thing, and the other part is that it is getting to be when, when it doesn't work, it is getting so much less. Yes. Function. Yes. Like he, he is just having to tough his way to victories against guys that shouldn't even really be out there testing his toughness that much. Yeah. I just think Pierce is too young, too athletic. Um, yeah, I think, I think now is the time when I when I pick too big the, too. That's that the real thing huge. is huge. This is six foot. He's huge and uh, not actually a better striker, really. No, no so, but he doesn't care to strike. Yeah, yeah. This uh, isn't a guy. This isn't a guy who thinks like, oh, I have to do this one thing because. I know it's going to work, but at any moment, Darren Elkins might make me grapple with him. No, he's going to go out there yeah. and just immediately, this is what you do. I mean, yeah. on the one hand, yeah, maybe it's not wise to pick somebody um, playing the OG's own game against them. On the other hand, you don't go out there and shoot yourself in the foot by, uh, by, by refusing to do the thing you actually do best just because it's your opponent's strength. You go out there with full confidence yep. and you play your game, and it helps when you're like 30 years younger than them, and you're a giant. Yeah. I got to pick Pierce. Yeah, I got to pick Pierce, too. Um, it'll be really funny if Elkins just goes out there. and be awesome. 
Yeah, I, who's, I, who's I, I love Darren love Elkins. It. Yeah, I, I'm I'm rooting for Darren Elkins here. Uh, for no small reason, for 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 no more reason in some ways other than Darren Elkins just being the kind of guy that you want you want to see succeed because you know that you have the deep the deep sense of dread that nobody has his back. Yeah, exactly. You know. Well, hey, as fellow five nine seven pipe fitters have his back, I hope. I would hope so too. Um, but also, just somehow, Jonathan Pierce had his nickname being JSP, and his his middle name <laughs> not his middle name being Mark. <laughs> it just it just rankles me in all the wrong ways. Something about <laughs> it, I don't know. Also, the fact that he he looks like a twelve year old that's been like stretched out and had somebody put yeah. a beard on it. Yeah, like it just the combination just somehow it 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 sits uneasy in my soul. Yeah, he's like a he's like a ringer. He's like, you know, that like classic like sitcom joke where they bring in like a 38, clearly 38 year old Dominican man to play on the on the the middle school uh, baseball team. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. there's something weird about Jonathan Pierce, but um I'll pick him with you. Right. I just Pierce, can't trust Darren anymore. Yeah. Pierce opened as a heavy favorite, opened at minus 300, dropped straight to minus 425, turned out at minus 477. Elkins opened at plus 250, bounced up to plus 325, turned up at plus 352. All right. That brings us to a woman's flyweight bout Tracy Cortez, Amanda Hebush. And. Good fight. This is a great fight, and I'm really, you know, I'm really not sure how this goes, honestly. Mm-hmm. I'm with you. Because we talked a bit about it with more so than, like, Marina Rodriguez even, or, like, uh, Wele, uh, no, uh, with Yan Zhao Nan. Mm-hmm. Like Amanda Hebush is a very willing striker whose striking is also just kind of a mess. Yeah. She is at her best when she is just charging recklessly after people, stringing together whatever strikes she just is feeling in the moment. Whether it's not even whether there's like an opening there or not, it'll just be like I threw a left hook and now I'm going to throw a right uppercut and then I'm going to throw a high kick and my defense will be totally out of position. My body might not even be in the right position to throw these strikes when I want to, but I'm going to throw them anyway. Yeah, if you're the kind of fighter who would, like so many female MMA fighters are, who will just crash into your opponent and have the same yeah. exchange over and over, Abish will drown you. Yeah. Because she will be more creative than you. She will be faster than you. And she will be more dynamic. She's, you know, there's some real fast twitch athleticism there. That probably explains why she's never gone away from this style. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, they even talked about it with that fight that she almost won against Caitlin Chukagian. Where, like, Chukagian's just coming, you know, coming in like, okay, this, she does this bullshit upper body, head and arm throw on everybody it's not going to work on me. And the first thing Amanda Hebish does is crash into her, grab her by in a headlock, <laughs> and throw her on the mat. Yep. <laughs> like, 
Well, <laughs> and she really does have a good qu- high quality uh, upper body takedown game, be- mostly because she does it so quickly and fluidly. Mm-hmm. It's a bit like um, Claudio Puelish's, um his knee bar, his knee bar, where it's just. You know, like, yeah, it's a goofy technique that a lot of people can shut that people can shut down at an elite level if they're ready for it and if they know how to do it. But, yeah, the other 75, 80 percent of fighters out there, this is prepared and done so smoothly and quickly that most fighters aren't even going to realize it's happening until it's already, you know, three quarters of the way through the motion. Yeah, I mean, I even think I'd extend that like. Uh, I think fluidity really is something, and maybe this is just a a factor of athleticism. Yeah, but that's something that kind of defines a lot of what Hebush does. Yeah, which is like I think why I she basically successfully conned me into thinking she's actually a better striker than she is. Because mm-hmm. given a, a little bit of a little momentum push, um, she strings everything together really well. Yeah, she just can go out there and chain and do whatever she wants. And she, you know, like I say, she doesn't even have to be in good position to throw the things that she wants. She can just flick a left high kick up there off of a, like a hook or an uppercut or something. And it'll just be up there. You Mm -hmm. know, she has the dexterity. She has the speed. She has the balance for all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And that's interesting because Tracy Cortez is really working hard to force herself to be a striker and she Mm -hmm. hates it. (laughs) She has done countless hours of pad drills and just an insane amount of work to have decent boxing to rely on Mm -hmm. to go with the thing that she wants to do, which is to hit a power double leg and start working you over from top control. And she still hates it. Yeah. Um, it, I mean, it's, it has kept her, you know, to, it has kept her in well in fights beyond the point where she's like, she is drilled to the point that she will actually like slip out away from stuff and hit counters and hit one twos and make it work all fight even if it's going poorly yeah and chain into takedowns like it does not vanish it's not like um jillian robertson where you can be like okay yeah you've spent a lot of time on this and you hate it and the moment it starts the moment the fight starts to get away from you it all just disintegrates completely evaporates yeah Yeah. but she also she also wasn't able to like look confident and effective striking against like stephanie egger yeah is big to be fair and and reasonably powerful but not a good striker. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't go away. It just it's just not very good. You know, it, she's and most like she's just she's not built for. She's built like Aspen Lad. You know? Right. Thick all the way up and down, short arms, telling me. And <laughs> I mean, settle down, Zane. We're supposed to be a professional show here, but all right. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't want to incur any wrath from uh, Brandon. Uh... No, it's Brian Ortega. Isn't it? Brian Ortega. Yeah, Brian Ortega. 
But uh, anyway, at least it's not her coach. Yeah, no, it's I, I got no problem. Thank God for that. Fighters who want to date each other, whatever. I mean, who else is going to know this lifestyle? You know, Go for it, a hundred percent. But uh, it's. She just, you know, part of it is just a physical. It's it's just there in the build. She's not going to be built to be, you know, how, you know, you're not going to, she's never going to have a rangy boxing game. Like, yeah, she's going to have to, to really perfect her jab and her kicking game if she wanted to. And it's just not going to happen. It's, it's mm-hmm. not, it's not, it's very unlikely. Um, And that makes this interesting because, if Cortez does get stranded on her feet for large stretches, Hibush is going to be able to light her up with stuff. On the other hand, Hibush is going to constantly throw herself into positions where Cortez can just go take her down off a power mm-hmm. And uh, we have seen Cortez do very well to survive good dynamic grapplers and to sweep them and to get, and to be on top and to be solid and to get in bad spots and to be, have them on her back and twist through. And she is just very hard to handle on the mat. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I don't know. I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to pick Cortez here. I think there's a chance for Hebish to just be dynamic and be hard to handle everywhere and to get lots of striking opportunities and to look good standing. But I think she'll just give Cortez also a lot of chances to get takedowns and to be on top. So, yeah, I'll pick Cortez. Yeah, it's tough because Cortez is. I mean, the, the the real problem is obviously that like he bushes, um, wrestling both has and has not been tested. Yeah, like it it is the problem. I mean, uh, as at uh, women's strawweight, that like, um, there's just no good wrestlers. <laughs> so like. She she's <clears throat> there are people who have who have um there are people who have tried to take her down. How and, good are mm-hmm. you know, like I think one of the things that tends to happen with Amanda Hebush too is she can be taken down and uh dominated or like you know, held down for an extended amount of time. Mm-hmm. But it usually only happens once in a fight. Like she will once she's keyed in on the possibility of something happening, mm-hmm. she's, you know, she's got the kind of moment to moment dexterity and uh, ability to avoid the situation. Yeah, that does seem to very much to be the case. That she, like, uh... Uh, it was, oh, who was it? that I was just looking at this. Um, it was Verna Jandaroba held her down for like three minutes of their fight. Mm-hmm. Which makes sense. I mean, if she does get a takedown, then, you know, she's an exceptional yeah. grappler. And and also, I think, getting stronger over time. Yeah. Uh, getting just more visibly jacked. Yeah. But, but yeah, uh, I think that's absolutely right. Like, if uh, Marina Rodriguez had not KO'd her with the one shot she landed, mm-hmm. I'm not 100% sure that one sneak shot would have continued to 
catch Hibosh completely off guard. Yeah. Meanwhile, uh, in a fight like the Chikagian one, where she was just genuinely out of her depth in a single face mm-hmm. and couldn't find transitions, then she will continue to lose. But it's not like one big thing. I think it's because, yeah, she's super fluid and offensively focused. Yeah. She just gets surprised. Yeah. She's out there trying to press her game and something happens that did not come from her. And so she doesn't expect it. Um, but you're right. She adjusts and she can sort of incorporate that into her flow. Um, There's a good chance for her to beat Tracy Cortez. It really is. Cause, because otherwise she, yeah, not a lot of great wrestlers, but John Genova's not bad. And she oh, only yeah. got her down the once yeah. out of, according oh. to UFC stats, eight oh. attempts. Yeah. And Cortez is small. She's well, really small. In, in, in she's short. Well, yeah, she's she looks she's strong enough, of course. Yeah, and maybe that's a a boon, in fact, because she likes yeah. to hit level change takedowns. She likes her doubles and singles. Yeah, and she hits them well. Yeah, you know, she she can actually like she can she can drive through the takedown. But I can totally see Hebush making Cortez really uncomfortable on the feet, and if yeah, they, no, she runs into a takedown early. Uh, and then Hebush kind of figures out that entry. The, although the other thing is that, yeah, Cortez is actually a pretty varied takedown artist. Mm-hmm. I suppose I'll take Cortez. I'm not confident at all, though. I'm not confident at all. You, I, I, if you'd taken Hebush, I would have, I, I would have felt slightly compelled to change my pick. Yeah, I mean, I when it, when it comes to this kind of toss up, I do usually favor just the wrestler. Yeah. You know what? Ask her it. I'm, I'm taking Hebush. I've sure. picked wrong on Hebush plenty of times uh, on the basis of a few early impressive performances, but I do feel I have a better t- full read on her now. Mm-hmm. And I do think this is this is maybe a case where Cortez's inexperience means that simply being well-rounded. Um, this, this is honestly kind of the first opponent Cortez will have faced who might be able to weather her specialty and put a scare into her in the phases where she is, as you said at the top, very clearly uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Like she just does not like striking. But at the same time, like, I mean, Cortez does have a win over like Aaron Blanchfield too, you know? Sure. She, she is, I think the big thing that's giving, like I, the reason I'm, I'm going with her here is that she really is, I think a remarkably, she's not a very good offensive grappler because she is so stocky yeah. that like, it's hard to wrap a limb around somebody. Right. But she is a remarkably good positional wrestler and grappler. 100%. And, a, and again, a very good and diverse takedown artist. I yeah. mean, she, she can hit clinch trips and throws. She will reverse other people's takedown attempts. Yeah. Doubles. Got a good single leg as well. She's Sweeps, great. Sweeps, scrambles. She's, I just don't like how shy she looks about striking, even in fights where it feels like she should have an advantage there. Yeah. She just can't pull the trigger. And uh, I just know that Hebush is capable of sort of making an early adjustment and just continuing yep. on her way. It, yeah, I mean, if there's a point where Hebush just shuts down all of Cortez's wrestling game and stops yeah. her from being able to get the pocket. Any then, semblance of just keeping her at range on the end of her strikes. Exactly. Yeah. Then it starts to look like a fight where I would pick Hebush pretty handily. Yeah. So why not? Who cares? I'm already yep. behind you and always will be. I may as well pick Hebush for fun. 
Feebush opened at minus 110, dropped down to minus 135, currently up at minus 112. Tracy Cortez opened at minus 110, jumped up to plus 115, is currently down at minus 109. Dead even odds. Mm -hmm. I got no problem with that. All right, that brings us to a lightweight bout. Natan Levy against Gennaro Valdez. And, um, yeah, this will be a scrap. It's, it's yeah, I suppose so. I mean, um, I don't think Valdez knows how to have any other fight. No, and I don't think Le- uh, Levy's actually good enough to stop it from happening. Yeah, no, absolutely not. Uh, still a very awkward fighter. Have I missed the fact in the past that in his uh, very funny posed uh, topology photo, is he wearing blue jeans with his belt, his, like, black belt? Oh, I don't know. Let me check. Or are those just, like, blue-tinted gi pants? It's, I mean, prob- it's probably, like, Israeli blue or something. Gi pants. No, I think, th- yeah, I think those are, like, they're, they're sweatpants, definitely, of some kind. They might be gi pants, but I think they're actually just sweatpants. Like, I think... I, I'm, I'll have to actually zoom in. They, they look like they have a, a tie. I th- yeah, they look like they have a drawstring. Uh huh. So, yeah, Truly a ridiculous man. Yeah, <laughs> um, uh, yeah no, Valdez is an, an absolute warrior, uh, for better or for worse. Every fight is, uh, huh? No, I was disagreeing with you. Yeah. Every fight is absolute chaos. It's not just Matt Frivola's fault what happened in his last fight. Like, nope. the dude does not have any limiters. He doesn't have any uh, any fail-safes. Somebody, you know, yep. he crashes into his opponent throwing huge punches. They break. He just immediately starts trying to follow them with hooks. Yeah. Uh, he loses his balance. Perfect. I'm shooting for a takedown now. Yeah, yeah. Just all offense all the time, no breaks. And um, Natan Levy, on the other hand, is just like he doesn't does not he's not built like a man who should be this awkward. Yeah, no, he looks like some incredible, you know, Mirsad Bektichish, yeah, uh, GSP ish, you know, hyper athletic. Gonna he looks like he should be Michelle Pereira out there. Yeah, if yeah. anything, you know. And I think, I think he, he wants good, to be. He yeah, wants I think to play. He, he is a good athlete. I think he is yeah. literally just saddled with bad technique. Yes, I believe that as well. As well. Like I, I don't know what is the dude's background. Like I'm, a, I'm making a guess because um, he's Israeli. Is it? Is it yeah. like Krav Maga? I think it might be. Is that his martial art? Because it's bad. Well, he's not on. Let me see. I'll, uh, I'll find his UFC um, profile. The Tom Levy is not on Wikipedia. This is an injustice. I know. <laughs> Uh, let me, let me find here. I'm finding his UFC profile. Okay. Uh, bio. I'm just curious. Cause he could also be like a guy who did Taekwondo or some kind of point karate thing when he was younger. He can kick pretty well. You know, okay. black belt in karate and Kung Fu. Oh, right. So it's okay. Kung Fu. Yeah. I think it's just like Kung Fu and karate at 15. Yeah. It, clearly you stick Levy at long range. And he can throw a kick with really nice form, you know. So he can do spinning kicks well. He throws a hook kick really nicely. Um, just great, excellent, simple round kicks. Anything in boxing range, anything in the clinch, anything in grappling, he can still be potent, but there is just no fluidity. Yeah. There's no comfort. Yep. 
Um, and I just don't, I think it's because, yeah, he just doesn't like have any boxing or wrestling technique ingrained to the degree it needs to be for him to mm-hmm. actually look smooth there. Yeah. Despite being by all appearances, a solid athlete. Yeah. Maybe he'll catch up. He re- would really be well suited for karate combat if they actually will. Oh Yeah could pay him enough to make that like be anybody's first option that wanted to do MMA for sure. But definitely has the perfect game for karate combat. Yeah. That is absolutely a sport defined by guys who have three or four really cool slick moves and then just atrocious boxing. Yeah. <laughs> um, when your hands aren't good enough to go to kickboxing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I'm honestly, I'm going to say, I think Valdez might make his life hell in this fight. Might. And I think that might be enough to win. Even though Valdez is like a suicidally aggressive fighter. Yeah, I'm going to pick Levy here. The big thing that has been a mark for him in his career so far, even when losing, is that he's really tough. He is. And, um, you know, he can... he, He is... He's able to survive, and he can stay dangerous in moments. And the thing that has me extra worried for Valdez, maybe it shouldn't, maybe it should be a better point in his favor, is that actually what he wants to do, really at heart, is be on top of people. He just feels like he can't rest at range. Yeah. And so he's always charging forward with strikes to try to get in on a takedown and take people down. He's not a very good wrestler. Yeah, he's not. So, but you go back, you look at his, you look at his record and you'll see like four ground and pound TKO victories and like three rear naked chokes on there Mm -hmm. or two rear naked chokes. And it's, you know, he wants to impose himself on his opponents in that way. And I think Levy's just too good an athlete. And I think most fighters at the UFC level are going to be too good an athlete for that. Sure. So I'm just going to think he's going to throw himself into something that where he can get hurt hard enough, badly enough again to, to lose. But it's at least close enough to 50-50 for Levy's, like, it, awkwardness and inexperience to be a problem. Oh, yeah. Like, if If Valdez just... You know, if Levy doesn't hurt him badly, then Valdez will just be all over him all the time. Because there were long stretches where Mike Breeden was able to just walk up on Levy and back him into the fence and just nail him with whatever he wanted. Valdez will absolutely get to come forward the way he wants to, and Levy will be on his back foot. Yes. Back to the cage, making bad decisions. But you're, you're correct that he has not been as easily overwhelmed even as it appears he is being in these fights. Yeah. Like ultimately he does stick it out more than you might expect. Which is probably why he's in MMA and not karate combat. Sure. Too tough for karate combat. Yeah. Like if you, if you've got that kind of toughness, that is like what the hallmarks of what makes MMA, honestly. That's right. Just being stupidly durable for like, all the wrong kinds of reasons. Yeah, but see, Breeden, when he was doing it to, to Levy, he made the mistake of hitting the body, mm. you know, which 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 sucks. And so Levy actually had to like wake up and go after him to make it stop happening. It's true. Valdez isn't going to make that mistake. That's true. He's just going to be winging, <laughs> winging one twos at the head exclusively. 
Yep. It's it's knock him out or fall down on top of him, and those are the only two ways this fight goes. <laughs> Uh, Levy opened at minus 160, is down at minus 192, an entirely unearned vote of confidence. Mm. Valdez opened at plus 140, is currently up at plus 158. Yeah, I would not take a lot away from that uh, Matt Frivola fight for this. Levy is not Matt Frivola. No. And, uh, yeah. Few men are. No. All right. That brings us to a featherweight bout, Marcelo Rojo, Francis Marshall. And, yeah, this is also, I don't know, this is a weird fight. Mm -hmm. Francis Marshall is not very good. Mm -hmm. And Marcelo Rojo is not very good. But he's not very good for very different reasons. Correct. Like, Francis Marshall is just... He's just raw. Like, he is a reasonably athletic young man who has started going to MMA classes and has decided to turn into a pro fighter. And the, you know, he's willing to stand in and throw, and he throws a lot of, he has gotten into that that MMA meta that is, um, has a very real chance of being dynamically changed in the next half decade uh, as fighters actually, as it attracts more and better strikers to the sport. Like uh, we've seen lately with um, Alex Pereira against... Sure. I mean, not just against uh, Israel Adesanya, who himself is also a very good striker, but like Alex Pereira versus Sean Strickland. Sean Strickland is big on the Francis Marshall meta of throw a lot of volume. And it doesn't really matter how you throw it. Mm-hmm. Throw it. Be willing to get hit. Be tough. Throw a lot of volume. Wear your opponent out. Break them with pace. Mm-hmm. And that's a really, like, it's a great open way for, like, actually good dynamic counterpunchers to find more room in this sport to succeed. Yeah. You know? So Francis Marshall, to me, he just looks like a very raw fighter early in this, in the early stages of, I throw a lot of volume, I'm working on getting the technique down to supplement, but the first thing I'm doing is throwing a lot. And I'll get hit a lot, too. And that comes with the territory. There's some signs, I mean, that I like to see from from strikers early in the development. Like, um, you know, first of all, he does throw his jab. Yeah, yeah. It could be much worse. I mean, it it often is. Yeah. And there's also, you know, when he touches people with his jab, like... Uh, when when he's allowed to basically get a little bit of a roll going with his hands, mm-hmm. he uh he can actually like vary his rhythm pretty well. He'll slip feints into the middle of his attacks. Yeah, it'd be like a one feint too. That mm-hmm. to me is already a sign of a certain kind of feel that even much more experienced MMA strikers often don't have. Yep. Um, you know this guy will double and triple jab. He, he again he will do tricky things firing off the same hand multiple times. Uh, little things to keep the opponent guessing. But, um, 
he has absolutely zero defense whatsoever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and when he either A, gets too excited, or B, gets hit in return, uh, a lot of that stuff kind of at least momentarily goes out the window. Yeah. And he just starts swinging. And so it's interesting in a fight here with Marcelo Rojo, who is mostly just a brawler and has, you know, I, the ideal I think for Marcelo Rojo is that he would like to be a, a pressure counter fighter. Yeah. Is what he envisions himself as Yeah, somebody who is moving forward, throwing a little bit, drawing out the reaction and then landing big, but he doesn't really have the best footwork to pressure. And he doesn't really have the cleanest technique to lead to set things yeah. to set up counters. So what he ends up having to do a lot is either chase after somebody with something wild mm-hmm. or sit in 50-50 with them and wait for them to lead. And when that happens, he could, you know, he'll often just get hit really hard before and then you know, won't be able to come back with anything. Mm-hmm. He just got hit, and he's not such a trigger counter where you're like, oh, every time, no matter how hard this person gets hit, they are throwing something at the same time. No, that's Marshall has a little bit more of that, to be honest. Yeah, Marshall There's, has a bit more of that. I think already he's proven he doesn't mind getting hit. Yep. Which is good because it happens yeah. constantly. <laughs> yeah, because it happens constantly. But it does it it makes this a weird fight because there's a pretty good chance that Francis Marshall just gives Marcelo Rojo a brawl. Sure. And make a brawl. Yeah. And that is where Rojo is best. You know? Ideally he would like to, you know, he wants to be a pressure counterfighter, but the best way he ends up fighting is you lead, you stay there, and he can hit you really hard in return. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I, I, I'll, I'll I'll help you with with at least I have a, do have a strong feeling about. Okay, this. you take give me your strong feeling. The other thing is that in a brawl, chaos happens, more opportunities open up. Um, Marshall is an MMA native. He will absolutely hit takedowns. And that is really the thing that actually usually seals Marcelo Rojo's defeats. Like, in fact, almost always. Yeah. He ends up, gets into a crazy fight, has some moments, but also gets hit in equal measure. Yep. And usually gets submitted late. Yeah. That tends to be what happens. Sometimes not even that late. But yeah, majority of his losses are, in fact, submissions. Yeah. and that is one thing that, yeah, Marshall will keep the pace going. He will keep exchanging. There's enough variation where I think he's going to cause a lot of interruptions and a lot of second thoughts for for Rojo to actually fire his counters. I think that will lead to him slowly building more of a volume lead. And he actually does, um, again, the good sign I see in his striking, the sort of fluidity, the feel for putting in empty beats and uh, yeah. and mixing up his timing. He also connects to his takedowns pretty well. So this, you know, he will land a clean yeah. one, two, and then anticipating a shot. I'm sure he doesn't see what the shot is, but he will then, it's a, it's clearly a drilled sequence. Yeah. One, two, 
slip drive in as a, as a part of the slip movement and hit a takedown or get to the back, whatever. I think um, I trust him more down the stretch and especially having that basically that that escape hatch of the of the takedown. And I mean, he clearly likes to continue mauling people when he gets to the ground. Yeah. Yeah, it's Rojo's best game, but I think Rojo is just more limited, even if he's a, a little more experienced. Yeah, I'll, Consider, I'll, considerably more experienced, to be fair. Yeah, I'll, I'll 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 side with you on that. I am worried that Marshall is just, you know, like, yeah, that he's just too raw, and that he's yeah, yeah. walking in against somebody much more experienced, and he's going to try to like take the time to feel out his striking game and just get clubbed. He's six and zero and twenty three years old, and as I have had a frequent occasion to say over the last uh, couple months, like UFC is just not—it's not the place for yeah this not, this role of a prospect. It's not a development league. Yeah, he's only been fighting for two years at this point. Yeah, but Rojo, Rojo is a is a relatively soft touch. He is as far as UFC competition goes, and uh, I don't think all of his experience has really made him a very deep fighter. No, it hasn't. Like I say, the you know, I I talk about Rojo and the fighter he wants to be, and it's, you know, we're we're tw- uh, eleven years into his career, and it's still not the fighter he is. Yeah, you know, right. And Marshall is also, you know, the ultimate caveat is just a, a significantly better athlete. Yeah, that is that is true. All right, I'll I'll side with you on this. I'll I'll go with Marshall. I just. I do think he's got potential. I'd hate to see it yeah. burned out in the UFC. Yeah. I, no, he does look like he has potential. It's it's one of those things that, like, three or four years right. of consistent just rounds would would probably be yeah. really good for him. All right. Odds on the fight. Marshall is the favorite here. Open to minus 110. Dropped to minus 170. Currently minus 164. Rojo opened at minus 110, jumped up to minus, plus 158. It's currently at plus 136. All right, that brings us to our final fight of the prelims. Yasmin Jaragui against Estela Nunez. And, uh, yeah, this is, uh, you know what? Even with Nunez coming off a couple losses, mm-hmm. I thought I liked this step for Yaragui as a prospect in development. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's an easy one to pick. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's fine. How had a, uh, frankly way more than expected, insanely fun competitive fight. Yeah. And, um, now gets like, yeah, the best the UFC can offer in terms of, okay, we're just going to keep giving you some wins and bringing you along and seeing what you can do. Yeah, because I mean the thing with Nunez is is that she is actually a sharp striker and mm-hmm. a varied one. Mm-hmm. It's just she has no command of pace or eye for uh, commanding the cage either. Like mm-hmm. I don't even want to say that it's no eye for defense because when she's on her when she's on her front foot on her game, uh, Nunez is she's just a really sharp striker. Mm-hmm. But the moment she starts getting backed up, she doesn't seem to have any idea how to change the narrative, how to change the momentum. And yeah. then she starts getting tired, 
and then she starts getting a little more flat-footed, and then it just everything starts to crumble from there. Yeah, no, absolutely. I want to know what her um, like what her martial arts background is, if any. It doesn't say on her uh, ESPN profile. I'll check her UFC profile because usually. Oh, okay. You got to go to the UFC.com profile. <laughs> And then it's great have, that literally just Googling UF fighter name, fighter profile just doesn't even come up on the first page. Yeah, you got to check, check Estella Nunez, UFC.com. That's your Here search. We Here we go. And then you go to Q&A and two-time world Muay Thai champion is what she claims. Okay. Meaningless. Utterly meaningless. Yeah. Didn't didn't fight in Thailand, as far as I know. So well, there's... she fought for one, so she might have actually had some Thai connections in that okay. way. Okay. Um. Okay. But yeah, otherwise, a Brazilian Muay Thai background. Yeah. Okay. And you know, you're and you're right. Like she does, uh, especially very early in the fight, she's really fast on the trigger. Yep. Um. Just just lightning fast strikes in general. She does have a sort of hallmark that I associate with a lot of people from a Muay Thai background, which is that you take her even slightly deep into a boxing exchange and eh, yeah, a little bit like uh, this isn't where I'm supposed to be. We're supposed to be exchanging and blocking kicks or grabbing each other in the clinch. A lot of Muay Thai fighters are frankly kind of weak in the boxing. Um, she's not terrible there. I mean, she puts no. her combinations together pretty well. Yeah. Uh, push comes to shove. She will just fire four punches I, gotta say, um, I think this is a step up for Haragui from Lucindo, who is sure. not bad and fun, but sure. didn't have the technique to compete in the yeah. way that Nunez does. Yeah. But was, I think, um, just a little more consistent. Yeah. Like she was just there banging it out for three rounds. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you you can like you could solve her. It was still a fight where Haragui kind of just got her number by the end. Mm-hmm. But uh, I do think Haudegui's counterpunching is going to be a problem for Nunes. Yep. Even if the process of finding her speed, uh, finding her timing might be a bit uh, iffy at first. <laughs> Haudegui is capable of pressuring and making Nunes uncomfortable, which, again, like even even Sam Hughes was able to just kind of stay yeah. on her. And yeah. you, you saw the crack start to appear within the first round. <laughs> She's like, I, I've teeped you. I've hit you with counterpunches. Why are you still coming? And then she just started to... It was an Edson Barboza kind of thing. Yep. More and more, more and longer retreats, less coming back the more she was committed to moving. She has to be planted to fire those nice crisp strikes. Yep. And um, and then exiting exchanges, I think, is when Haoigi is really at her best. The, uh, yeah. the, the left hook coming out of exchanges, uh, these little, like, closing the door, whether it's a counter or just her ending her own exchange or ending her own combination. Uh, is when she surprises people. Um, so yeah, I got to take how to give her basically just for like the depth and consistency of her uh, of her boxing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's going to be it. a great first round, I think. Yeah, it'll be a barn burner first round, and I expect uh, Nunes to come out and look pretty good mm-hmm. to really catch Hadagui uh, by surprise a bit because she's just. She's just fast, and she fires to all levels. It's hard not to get caught by surprise by her coming out of the gate. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, it's really the the multiple rounds of consistent, mm-hmm. very tight, very technical punching, 
dedication to being in the pocket, as you say, the the quality exiting exchanges, and uh, pretty yeah. tight defense. I mean, keeps yep. keeps keeps her guard nice and high. Yep. Um, you know, moves her head, adjusts her guard, like actually sees the shots coming. Doesn't just rely on the fact that her hands are up. And I, I think, in, yeah, in some ways, like Nunez is just she, she may um, she may have some more depth as a striker than Lucindo, mm-hmm. but I don't think Lucindo believes. Yeah, like she knows she can wreck people. Yep. Uh, and so she 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 went out there and just like kind of refused to think that she was actually losing the fight for a long time because mm-hmm. she thought I still have a shot and I and yep. I believe in it. Nunez, I don't think it takes that much to kind of put a dent in her confidence. It has so far, so yeah, I think that that feels true to me too. Uh, Haragui is the favorite here, as expected. Open at minus two forty, dropped to minus three fifty. Currently at minus three thirty. Nunez opened at plus 205, jumped up to plus 268, currently at plus 254. All right, on that note, we're going to wrap things up. You can find me on Twitter at the Zane Simon. You can find Connor on Twitter at Boxing Bush. You can find both of us over at bloodyelbow.com. Give us a like, subscribe to our podcast over on Bloody Over Presents on SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, all that good stuff. And we'll be back in one week's time for UFC 282, Blachowicz versus Ankolaev. So until then, adios. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We're also on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents and you'll get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, the Level Change Podcast, the MMA Vivis Section, the 6th Round Post-Fight Show, 6th Round Retro, the MMA Depressed Us, Crooklyn's Corner, Exclusive Fighter Interviews, Show Money, Guest Podcasts, the Hey Not The Face Podcast, and Radio Style Play-By-Play for every UFC pay-per-view. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloody elbow blog and as always on bloodyelbow.com.